Today's conversation is with my friend and my colleague, Candace James. Now, I'm going to do something I don't always do when introducing a guest, and I'm going to read you Candace's bio because it's important to me that you know what a badass she is professionally and all of the experiences and accomplishments she has had in her professional life because our conversation takes such an interesting deep dive into her personal experiences, including multiple near-death experiences. So I want you to go into this conversation knowing what an amazing person she is just in her job. With over 23 years of sales and marketing experience, Candace James helps experts and coaches increase their sales call conversions so that they can spend more time doing the parts of the businesses that they love, which is helping people. And by the way, Candace embodies the belief that there are no sleazy sales tactics or push energy required. Now, Candace is somebody who I discovered through a work project. Candace and I are both advisors in Nicole Culver's program, which is called Elevate. Nicole was one of my favorite guests on a previous episode of Hard Cost. So if you want to know more about that work, how I work with Nicole, Nicole's own fascinating origin story, you can go back and listen to that. But where I am a systems and communications advisor for Elevate clients, and I work directly with the Elevate team, Candace is the sales advisor. And what that means is I have the benefit of getting to talk with Candace multiple times every single week in our capacity as advisors, but it also gives me such an interesting window into learning more about her as a person. And I want you to know that despite that access and that opportunity, I've had to become friends with Candace, including an in-person hang in Sedona at an Elevate client event. I was shocked, surprised, and stunned by some of what I learned about her and all of the things she has packed into her 40 years so far. You can probably, as you watch or listen to this episode, you will notice the number of times when I just felt my jaw drop because I could not believe that this person had had so many experiences and truly had come out with so much resilience and so much optimism and so much clarity in why she's here and why she continues to be here despite life's seemingly best efforts to try to stop that from happening. So I loved this conversation with Candace. I had so many takeaways, some of them in real time. You'll hear me almost process some of what I learned and some of the aha moments and takeaways I had from Candace in real time. And by the way, that experience is pretty much what everybody says about working with and learning from Candace. Sometimes you're surprised at what she says. You're often moved. You are never just kind of complacent. Uh, There's always evoking something when you learn from Candace or have the opportunity to be coached by Candace or thankfully, in my case, have become friends with Candace as well. So with all of that said, I can't wait for you to learn more about my friend, Candace James. Welcome to Hard Costs, the podcast. I'm your host, Katie Widrick, fractional CMO and funnel fixer. And guess what? I'm good in a crisis and I know how to see through the chaos to find clarity. That's something I've learned from working behind the scenes as a strategic partner for visionary CEOs. I'm on a mission to bring founders to the forefront and to tell the truth about the hard costs of doing business. You know, we all see wins shared on social media highlight reels every day. 
But what we don't often get a glimpse into are the tough times, the lost revenue, hiring and firing, moments that required major pivots, and so much more. On Hard Costs, we're bringing forward the stories that will help you understand that the roller coaster ride you're on is all part of the gig. And just like a roller coaster, the founder journey can be pretty thrilling. Take a listen while I share my own experiences, case studies from companies I've worked with, and I'm joined by some of my favorite founders to help you navigate this storm the right way. Now let's rise together. Welcome, Candace. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you. It's exciting to be here. Oh my gosh. I have been very excited about this conversation because uh, as I just shared in the intro, I have had the benefit of getting to know you because we work together in a community where you are the sales advisor, I'm the systems advisor. But I also feel like the beauty of that is I've gotten to learn so much about what motivates you and the heart and the empathy that you bring to the clients that you work with, certainly in our community and in your own life. And I have been feeling ever since I met you, like this is a woman where there are probably 10 lives trapped in this one life. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know how many of Candace's stories we can even get to in a short conversation, but I'm going to, I'm going to go as deep as I can with you. So I'm really excited (laughs) that you said yes. All right, here we go. Sounds exciting. No no pressure. (laughs) No pressure at all, yeah. (laughs) So we're going to get to all of the things that you do now. And I really would love for my listeners to hear your perspective on the marketplace for sales, the opportunities, what you have seen in the business. But before we get to any of that, I really want to talk about Candice. So I know you now as this badass in a leather jacket who lovingly empowers people to make sales, to believe in themselves. But I also am having a little bit of a tough time picturing like five, eight and 12 year old Candace. So take me back. What is your origin story? Where did you come from? Who are you? Oh, man. Five, eight, and 12-year-old Candace. That's hilarious. Um, I was going to computer camp every summer and learning how to use things like HyperCard, HyperCard animations on the old, like, Macs that were, like, you know, the the super old ones. Um, And I would be learning HyperCard, and um, then I would go home with my cousin. He would come to computer camp with me. And uh, we would go to computer camp and then we would come home and uh, we would read Berenstein Bear books underneath the maple tree. And we would take turns reading to each other. Um, The books changed over the years, but yeah, we spent a lot of time under the maple tree reading books back and forth and going to computer camp. Um, I was very cool. In other words, it was very not nerdy. Listen, you're joking, but somehow you made this thing that on paper sounds like it could be like an introverted kind of uh, nerdy kid. You actually did make that sound cool. So when I say introverted, was that your perspective? Did you feel like your circles were close and selective or were you friends with everybody, your cousin, the Berenstein Bears and beyond? (laughs) <laughs> always friends with the Berenstein Bears. Sure. Um, they but... did have that tree house and they were constantly telling you what to do and what not to do. 
Right. Let this be a lesson to you. This is what you should not do. Um, <laughs> anywho. Yes. Um, I, I was, I, yeah, as a kid, I was really, really, really shy. Most people now like looking at me these days would not expect that necessarily. But as a kid, I was incredibly shy and just loved to kind of go inward and learn things. Like my cousin was the same way. We grew up together. So like my parents took us on, his parents and my parents took us on like a a trip to the lake. They got us a cottage and um, they had to force me and my cousin to come outside because he was teaching me how to play chess inside. And I was like fully into it. I had to learn all the ins and outs of chess. And so they said, no, you have to come outside. We have this lake house. So we took the chessboard and we brought it to the beach. And then we just kept playing on the beach because I had to learn how to play chess. Once I'm in it, I'm in it. I got to figure it out. That's so interesting. And so you're talking about your family. You mentioned your parents, your cousin. What was your family upbringing like? Was that, was it just that kind of small? That's really, that was my experience. I grew up with my parents and my brother and not a lot of immediate family close by. And so Mm. a lot of what I learned as I got older was like how to expand those circles and how to create those relationships. But I didn't have that. And I'm always interested to hear, like, was it a messy big family? Tell me more about what that looked like for you. I would say it's a bit more of a messy big family. Um, Not in my, like, so I have one uh, sister. She's technically a half sister. She's seven years older. Um, But we grew up together. Like, we were one unit. Um, But she was a lot older. So we didn't always, we weren't into the same things necessarily. And then uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom while my dad sold used cars. And, uh... So she ended up taking um, her sister's kids. If we weren't in school, her sister's kids were always, because she was a single mom. So those kids would come and stay. And there was three of them at the time. And then that family grew to four of them. Um, And now you want to talk about messy family. Each four of those kids have like two or three or four of their own children. And like, yeah, but we were always the family that like at Thanksgiving or at Christmas or whatever, if one of us had a friend, which was often... Uh, one of us had a friend who had nowhere to go. All the friends would come. So it was very normal to have like a holiday dinner of like 40 or so people. And that just was normal growing up. That's so interesting to hear that for you, that model of like everybody is welcome and everybody has a place at the table that you saw that visually. I think that's so interesting. And and it will, I think, come into even more perspective when we talk about how you support clients now and and what you do now. Mm -hmm. But there, there has to be a bridge between the Berenstein Bears reading Candace under the tree or playing chess at the beach to this badass in a leather jacket. So what happened after you got into your teenage years, into your young adulthood? Did you go to a traditional school program? Did you jump right into career? What did that look like? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was, um, and you know, a lot of, in in the moment it sucked, but afterwards I'm, I'm actually kind of grateful for it is like, as soon as I hit grade seven, which I don't know what you guys call that in the USA, like junior high or something. Um, yeah. But anyways, as By soon the way, as I if, hit grade- If people don't hear you say Zed in this interview, I will be disappointed because <laughs> that's my favorite. That's when the Canada really pops out when I'm talking with you and I love it. <laughs> Okay, well, if we have to spell something, maybe they'll hear it. But (laughs) 
Um, yeah. So basically in like grade seven, I went to school and I had always kind of been like bullied a little bit as a kid. Um, I was heavier set. I was always reading books. Um, in grade two, I was at a grade eight reading level. Like, so they always put me in the gifted programs. Like I had to go and do other stuff. So like, I wasn't really super cool. Um, and then in grade seven, I actually switched schools cause I had to, uh, and got there and like, I was cool all of a sudden it was pretty rad. Um, for like two months until everybody turned on me and just like made my life a living hell yeah. for the rest of the time. So to the point where like my mom would have to come and pick me up because being at school was like torture. And anyways, it was awful. But the point being is that I started to become defiant in that moment. Like I would wear a t-shirt to school that had Mickey Mouse doing something cool on it and <laughs> they would make fun of me for it. So I would wear it again the next day. Like I just Hell started yeah. becoming like, screw you, right? Like, you're going to make fun of my shirt. Well, guess what? It's going on today and I'm going to wear another one tomorrow and it's going to be badass. Um, so I just started kind of just being a bit defiant in that regard and being, and, you know, you develop a thick skin of like, it doesn't really matter what, you know, um, other people say. And so it kind of forces, you know, I think you can go either way. You can kind of retreat and go inside and really just try to be invisible or someone like me who's a bit like, screw you, uh, becomes defiant. And it's just like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to put this out there. So I started to become a stronger version of myself just in and of that. Um, and then I don't know, going through high school, I did all the maths. I did all the sciences. I had all of them. Um, I didn't like it there either. People were bullied me there. So eventually I just uh, quit day school, got a job um, and finished in night school. So I didn't have to be with those people. And it was just like in and out, in and out. Like I didn't have to actually talk to people as much as in day school. So, you know, I just kind of started carving a weird path right from the beginning. Like my mom's like, why do you want to go to night school instead of regular school? I was like, cause I don't like it. <laughs> like I've never, yeah. I just started, you know, kind of following what's going to make me feel better. Um, and then I went to school for marketing for a bit. Uh, I did a co-op program, which was fun. So three months of learning, three months of actually working in a business, which I thought was really valuable. I had some friends coming straight out of like full university. Um, and like, they'd never once done a marketing plan in real life. Right. So for me, it was really valuable to get that hands-on experience. Yeah. I, I love that perspective, Candice, because, um, I, you know, I had a more, a much more traditional route. I went to, you know, public school here in the U S but then did a four-year private university. And exactly what you mm -hmm. said is, and I was like in a pretty specific program for broadcast journalism. I knew exactly what the trade was when I came out. Um, but short yeah. of some internships that I would do during the summer or like, you know, on weekends, I really came out after having invested so much time and money in this education. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Okay. Like it felt like starting from scratch. And I, I have not heard anyone share that perspective of like learning and then applying, learning and applying. And that's so interesting to me because one word that stands out to me as you were sharing this is, well, two, number one, resilience, right? I don't know if that, if you feel resilient, but there's something in your story that is like, oh, this happened and I could have gone two ways. I chose to just like carve my own path, be brave and say, they're going to do what they're going to do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I'm going to keep moving forward. That to me is resilience, but also just, um, like that word defiance. I love it. I love it so much because it's not, it's not a negative. Like the way that I, 
interpreted it when you said it. It was like, no, I know what I'm supposed to do and I'm going to buck the system that isn't serving me. And it doesn't mean that it has to hurt other people, right? I'm just Mm -hmm. defying what someone's telling me I can and cannot do or what I'm expected to do. And I think there are a lot of people that are really fearful of like what will happen if I do this thing that they're telling me not to. Was there, when you talk about that, it's, I find sometimes it's easy in reflection to say, oh, I was defiant and this is how it turned out. But in the moment, was there any trepidation? Did you have any of that fear or self-doubt or were you always really like, this is the right path and I'm confident in it? Oh, it's terrifying. (laughs) It was terrifying. I knew that by, by doing those things, like if we go to grade school, right, doing those things was gonna, was gonna get more bullying, right? But I wasn't going to let you tell me who I should be and how I should dress. Cause it didn't matter if I changed it from a Mickey mouse t-shirt to a black t-shirt, they'd be like, Oh, see, you don't you know, like, it just doesn't even matter. Right. Like if they have their minds made up, it's all right. And then going into kind of college um, and that sort of thing, like, you know, I was kind of being pressured by everyone around me, all my friends, even my parents, like go the regular route, like business at a university, and like that just, I could just feel it. I've always kind of just gone with like that, that feeling inside. Right. And just imagining sitting in those rooms for that long and like being in the whole university thing. Like I just, I couldn't do it. I said, I'll go to business, but I'm doing it my way. And I'm going to go to this like co-op program where I actually get to be hands-on. I learn way better doing it. You could, I could read 25 books and you'll be like, Hey, people get annoyed with me. We'll watch a movie. They're like, it'll be like the last 10 minutes. And I'm like, wait, I've seen this before. Like, I don't even know until the very end of the movie. And then I'm like, oh, I have seen this before. So like reading from a textbook um, isn't great. I think that's why I liked math because you got to apply it right away. Mm. Right. Um, I'm much better at applications. So I knew that about myself. So that's, that's what I did. And then after that, I went and got a job in an office and then flew to Thailand and lived abroad and you know, you just got to keep life interesting. <laughs> that was such a yada, yada, yada Seinfeld moment where you're like, yeah, I did this thing. And then I went, and then, so we're yada, not getting yada, 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 because what I have learned about you is you have this like nomadic spirit, right? Where like, I mean, I'm giving a summary now of what I know about you and you can fill in any gaps, but you know, I know that over the course of your career, you've had maybe a dozen of the most interesting job titles and roles and industries. You've traveled to all of these fascinating places, sometimes for like lengthy periods of time. Is there like, is it wanderlust? Is it um, curiosity? Is it the travel? What is it about that type of lifestyle that appeals to you? Yeah, it's definitely curiosity. Um, Like, when I was, um, like I started, I started my own business teaching piano when I was 10. (laughs) And then, um, I also started a business babysitting, but I realized I don't like babysitting. So I started doing the marketing and I would call the parents and stuff and get them organized. And my friend would babysit and then we would split the money, which was great. Um, and then as I got older, like I've always had a business on the side. I used to have like, you know, I've always had more than one job. So starting at 15, I got a job in a grocery store, but I was also teaching piano. Then I switched to selling jeans. Then I also went to another store in the mall. I went to another one and I did it kind of just because I was like, well, what's that like? What's that like? 
it's actually this like undying curiosity <laughs> that sometimes is not in my favor. I had a large period of life where I was like wildly addicted to drugs and partying and doing all of that. Like that happened. Um, and that was also part of, cause I want to know what it feels like. I want to know what this job feels like. I want to know what that feels like. I want to know what it feels like to live in a country that doesn't speak the language. I want to know what it feels like to live in a hot country. I want to know what it feels like. Like I always am just so curious to understand what things feel like. And also like, what does it feel like to be a person of that? Or like to understand the people. Like when I moved to Thailand for five and a half years, it was like a cultural thing. It was a culture that spoke to me and I just wanted to understand it and know it. And like, um, I'm just very open and receiving and like very curious about how other people live their lives. And I think that has done really well for me as far as business and sales and things like that. Like it really does kind of come back to that. Um, but yeah, it's really just like this curiosity, like we're, we're here on this planet and I've died now almost three times, three near death experiences. And like, I'm still going. So it's like, you just want to see, like, we're here for a short time. We're not guaranteed. And I just want to like, see it all and feel it all and do it all, you know? Yeah. You just unlock, like, this is why I love these conversations, Candice, is you just created a bridge for me as somebody who has had the benefit of knowing you and having some of these conversations with you. Like I just made a connection between these life experiences and the motivation and, and not necessarily the adrenaline, but like whatever the adrenaline dopamine, like whatever it is that really mm -hmm. fuels you, you have such an ability to connect that curiosity back to the sales process. So that's mm -hmm. what we're going to talk about in a moment, but I can't let you say I had three near death experiences and just yada, <laughs> yada, yada that. So talk me through what happened and what really, what, how did it change your perspective? Yeah. So there was three, the most recent one about 15 months ago. Um, but the first one I was three and um, I caught like a disease called epiglottitis. It's a virus. And it was just randomly flying through the air, I guess. And uh, I caught it. We were all camping. Me and my, my cousins were there. And uh, we were all camping. And then all of a sudden I started like doing this weird coughing thing. And I used to get croup when I was a kid. So my mom started treating it for how she'd been taught to treat croup. Um, and that was not helping at all. Uh, so they ended up, she ended up taking me to the hospital and at the hospital, they treated me for really severe croup and, uh, that it was just getting worse and worse and worse. So they had to send me by ambulance to the children's hospital, yada, yada, yada. Um, basically they came out and told my parents, uh, we found out what she has and, uh, it's epiglottitis and there is a 97% chance that she's going to die. Oh my so, gosh. Can you imagine as the parent? Just I mean, like I can, unfortunately I can imagine the yeah. absolute trauma and shock that they must've gone yeah. through. Yeah. And they said, okay, so here's what we have to do. We're going to start by trying to put, she can't breathe because the epiglottis is a little thing on top of your air pipe. So it was wow. swollen shut. So they said I couldn't breathe. So they were going to put something up my nose and down my throat to hook me up to a breathing machine. If that didn't work, um, they would have to cut a hole in my throat and oh my in my neck and like stick it that way. And if that didn't work, well, time over, time out. So anyways, obviously I'm fine. So they figured out how to get it up the nose and down and hooked me up to a breathing machine. But I actually have like visions of watching myself out of body. 
And I still can remember them from that time because it was like wild. And for a long time, I just like remembered that vision. Like I can see it very, very clearly. And um, it wasn't until like maybe four years, three years ago, three years ago or so, I was watching some documentary on Gaia about the heart. And it was talking about all this stuff and something that was said, I have no idea. It just triggered this whole thing. And all of a sudden it wasn't just a scene anymore. It was a feeling. And the mm. feeling was, I remembered how peaceful it was. And so I was able to then be like, oh, there's no fear in dying, which is really important because previous to that, so in between those two times, sorry, I kind of skipped a timeline. I almost died on a boat and uh, the boat almost capsized in the middle of Thailand waters. And so my body went into like basically shock and like shut down. And after that, I had PTSD. And then I was watching that thing on, um, I was watching that thing on Gaia and it showed me how peaceful it was. And I was like, oh my God, it doesn't even matter if we die. I mean, obviously I don't want to die, but there was just like this peacefulness and this ease and that helped get rid of a lot of the PTSD that I was experiencing from the second one. Wow. And you just walk mm -hmm. around on the earth carrying these experiences with you. Uh, that's amazing <laughs> to me. And so... Okay, so you have this traumatic experience when you're a child that you now have these, I don't even know what's called, them, uh, like shadow memories or, you know, mm -hmm. these, these kind of more active memories or experiences from. Then you have this experience mm -hmm. in Thailand. You mentioned a third experience. Yeah, last year um, I was given a medication by a doctor which triggered a bunch of stuff in my body and basically created type 1 diabetes within four days. So my pancreas shut down. Um, this was not something I was expecting. So um, ended up being rushed to the hospital in an ambulance. Um, and I had, I think, oh gosh, I can't remember what it is. I don't know. There's like a blood pH. Let's call it 6.7. I don't really remember right now. But let's call it 6.7. Anything that or below is like 95% death. Um, and I was at it. I'm like, why do I keep cutting things so close? My mom's just like, what is wrong with you? Could you stop? Like, this is just, this is, could you just stop doing this stuff? I was like, I didn't mean to. Um, but because I had, I was like, my pancreas shut down very quickly. I was trying to do things without realizing that my pancreas was shut down. So my blood sugar was going crazy high, um, which caused blood acidity. So yeah, it almost shut down my organs. I would have either gone into a coma or whatever. And I was in the the ER, they had me locked off in this little room and I knew something was going wrong. I was in and out of consciousness and I knew something was going wrong. And I ended up just like flagging someone down and being like, something's wrong. They're like, really? Um, and then I hear him type, 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 type on the computer. And all of a sudden he's like, shoot. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I've been okay. using stronger language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was like, shoot. Holy shit, Candace! We gotta, <laughs> we gotta hook you up with something. <laughs> All I heard was shit, and then I saw like eight people around me just doing—I don't know what they were doing—and I passed out. And I woke up like many hours later in the hospital bed, um, but I was about to go into either a coma or death. So, um, but I thankfully I flagged them down. It's amazing what your body does when you're in these like intense spots. Yeah. So do you feel like the luckiest person for having survived? Do you feel unlucky because these keep happening to you? Does luck not factor in? I don't think it's luck. Um, 
it's like more than anything, it just keeps telling me that like get your shit together, Candace, and do more stuff because that's really the message that I keep receiving is like, you're supposed to be here for some reason. And so you need to just keep digging further. How many more people can you help? What else can you do? Because um, otherwise, you know, I'd be taken away. And and there's obviously a reason that I keep going through these experiences. Um, there's a reason for it. And I think I learn something new every time. You have to be open to obviously learning that. But I think every single time it's a learning opportunity and it encourages me more and more to like dig into how can I help people? How can I spread betterness? Betterness. That's a good word in the, in the world, but you know what I mean, right? Spread, spread better things in the world. And so for me, it's not about luck. Me, if, if I feel like, I mean, um, obviously I'm still, I have something else to do, so I'm Mm -hmm. not going anywhere yet. Okay. So that brings us like how, this is a difficult, not a difficult, but it's a hard, like a physically hard transition to go from these experiences that you've had into talking about like business and what you do. But I told you, you said something that bridged a gap for me, which is I see you in your sales advisor role, right? Like I see you helping business owners and people who are trying to create and scale their businesses and change their lives. I see you lead them through such thoughtful questions. You ask them about their own business and their motivation and what's holding them back. Then you guide them to the questions they can ask their audience as they're trying to sell. So the bridge for me is, okay, Candace comes from a place where she's constantly curious and non-judgmental and is genuinely trying to understand the perspective and the experiences. Like that was next level unlocked when you were sharing these stories. But I'd love to hear more about when you feel, when you're talking with somebody about their business or their offer and you're connecting with them and empowering them to be better at selling, what are some of the common things you're seeing that people can improve upon? I don't want to say that they're doing wrong, but what are some of the things where you see, wow, this is a pattern that I see in people trying to sell and I want to teach them X? Yeah. Um, and also I just want to say, before we go in there, could you like mark that question so that I don't forget it? Cause I'll forget it. But, um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> when you were kind of saying like seeing that connection, um, it's like, it is really interesting because I've gone through sort of different iterations of how to help people and what to do. And like, I find particularly in sales, which is something I've done for my entire life is just be in sales. And I think a large part of that is curiosity, like you're saying, right? It's just being curious about people's situations. But also I think to be really good at sales, and this kind of leads into your, your question, but like to be really good at sales, we need to have like this whole trifecta of things going on, right? Like we need to be able to be the master of our own energy at all times because you know, if we come in hot or if we come in cold, right, that's going to be reflected, right? We have to be a master of energy. We have to be curious. We have to ask the right questions, right? It is very like sales is psychology, right? If you want to be really good at sales, you need to be more curious about the psychology. Now I had somebody the other day say like, but I don't know anything about psychology. I'm like, that's okay. I can share with you very specific questions and way to dig in, right? Like you don't need to be, you know, big into psychology. And like, I've studied the applied mindfulness 
um, and all of that at the University of Toronto. I've gone on meditation retreats. Like I learn how to do all of these things separately, but it's such a cool place to bring it in. And I think my favorite thing about it is that by helping others do better at sales, I'm helping them live out their dream. Like you want to build this business and you want to help people and you want to touch all these other people's lives. And by me showing you these like little tactics and things that we can do, like, it's just so amazing. And I feel like my doing this, and it was somebody actually who commented in our group recently, who was like, you're touching so many people through touching me to learn sales. Right. And to me, like what I was saying is I just like, every time that I get hit with a, let's hope it's the last one, a near death experience. Like I don't yes. really want I'm anymore. I'm on all the wood, throwing salt. I don't even know there's going to be saving <laughs> a burning candle. All of it is for you, Candice. Lessons learned. In the Lessons world. learned. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. But you know, I just, it just like helping people on the exponential level just like fills me up. Right. And I think that this kind of comes back to when we're looking at sales, you know, that is really the number one thing that needs to happen from your perspective as well, right? When I'm, when I'm working with clients who are learning to sell better, um, oftentimes people come into a sales conversation like, this is about me and what I have to offer and I'm going to tell you about it and we're going to go through these things. Whereas um, a sales conversation like... I don't even think about what I'm selling for the first 70% of the call. I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about what I'm selling. I don't even want to get there. What I'm trying to learn about is who you are. What are your desires? What are your fears? What's holding you back? How could I possibly maybe help you in the future? And when we shift from this idea, right, it's, it's an energetic shift, right? It's like, hey, I'm going to tell you about this thing and I'm on a sales call. So I'm on stage. And that's how often people feel. It's like you're on stage for a show and tell. I'm going to tell you all about my offer, all the things that are going on. I'm going to tell you about all this stuff. And instead, you're not on stage. No, no, no. You're in the audience and you need to put that other person on stage and you need to ask them all about them. You need to be talking all about them. And when you come from this place of like, I'm going to help them, how can I help them? then the whole dynamic of a sales call changes. They're going to trust you more. They're going to be more willing to, you know, actually move forward with you. There's so many other things and they're going to go deeper. They're going to tell you really why they're not buying, not just, oh, it's too expensive because, oh, it's too expensive. is just like a super easy way to just get off a call with someone, right? You'll be able to get deeper. Yeah, I, I love that too. Um, and I feel like I, I mean, there's so much that I've learned from you, mostly just by osmosis. I mean, one of the downsides to you being an advisor in the same group I'm an advisor is that I don't always get to attend your calls. I don't get the benefit of showing up when you're doing a training. You know, I'm often doing something over here in adjacent. And so I sometimes find myself with a lot of FOMO because we'll get into the Facebook group and clients will be tagging you like crazy. Candace, that call changed my life. Candace, that one shift you gave me helped me make X you know, number of sales. Um, and so I feel like a lot of times it's just been such a joy for me to see your effect almost third person. But you were talking about like, so for example, we, uh, you know, we do a, an impact report in the community that you and I are, are in. And what really stood out for me this year when we were pulling some of those numbers is we would look at how much revenue have our clients brought in this year? But I don't, mm -hmm. it, it's almost, you know, the exponential factor 
that is sort of that ripple effect outside of that, I really can't measure because, mm-hmm. you know, many of the people that you're coaching on sales are also coaching people on sales or like you said, are, are bringing courses and programs and offers that are helping them get healthy, uh, you know, be a better parent, be a better leader, like whatever their, their passion Mm -hmm. is. We've had such diverse and interesting people, but that's to me, like you were just, you know, talking about sort of that ripple effect. Uh, and I love that because it's not just about the sale. It really is about rooting in why are you doing what you're doing? And I've heard you Candace in the most loving, like not calling people out, but calling them in. I've heard you call people in sometimes on their own BS, right? And it's like, hey, I hear what you're saying you want to do, and then I hear the way you're talking about it. Or I hear what you say you think you're offering, and then I hear the way you're talking about what it is. Those are those are mm. dissonant. What What does it feel like for you when you have to – tell somebody, Hey, the way that you are selling is not working and you need to make a change. Like, does it, do you ever feel like angst about having to have some of that tough love with somebody? You know, I've always been this way. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day about my family dynamic, my like close family. So the four of us, right. They are very much, um, hold everything inside, build resentment and act out in ways that are not really, you know, how we want to be acting. All three of them are like that. So I grew up in that household. Their birthdays are all within like a few days of each other. Wow. So they're all basically the same The zodiac person. signs are all. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, boy. And I'm the only one outside of this whole dynamic, right? But I, I remember at 10 years old actually calling a family meeting and being like, look, this can't go on. <laughs> Like I'm 10 and you're all way older than me, but like, we can't keep doing this because you're mad at her and you're mad at this guy. And like, I was just like, I'm not dealing with this anymore, you know? So, I mean, I don't actually feel too much tension because I also make sure that everybody knows I'm coming from a place of love, but Mm. I'm loving you more because I'm telling you what you need to know. If I hold back because I'm scared of telling you what you need to know, then I'm doing you a disservice, right? I need to just tell you point blank and people that work with me at first sometimes can feel a little like, you know, I'm known for, what do they call it? Tough love sometimes. But really I'm just, I'm just blunt because I also teach people, you can't like when you're in sales, you can't make anything mean anything about you. Someone says, no, don't make it mean anything. Someone says, oh, it's too expensive. Don't make it mean anything, right? You just have to just not let things, it's just a fact. Right now, they think that they can't afford it. Great. Let's work on that, right? Um, we, we way too often get so into our emotions, like, oh, they said no. I actually asked in a group recently, um, another group that I was working with, and I was like, hey, so if somebody says no to your offer, what does that mean about you? Oh. And almost everyone responded with, I'm not good enough. My offer sucks. I'm never going to make it. I said, no, it means nothing about you. It means that they said, no, that's all that it means. right? It just means that they said no. So if I tell you that you're not talking about what you think you're talking about, that's all it means. It doesn't mean I judge you. It doesn't mean I think anything, you know? So I think you've got to kind of look at it that way, right? Someone saying no to your offer does not mean that they don't like you or that your offer sucks or that you're a terrible person. It just means that they said no to your offer. And there's an element of sales where it's really important to be able to 
differentiate that. And that's where like the mindfulness training comes in too, right? It's like, how do we just separate the, what we think something means and what it actually means? How does that apply when you're selling your own product? So I, I know that a lot of what we've talked about today is your role as an advisor, helping other mm -hmm. people become better at sales, but you are yourself a salesperson. Do mm -hmm. you have it, it? Are you able to apply your lessons and your knowledge to yourself in the same way? And the reason I ask is because what I am exceptionally good at doing for other people, I'm terrible at doing for myself. And I, mm -hmm. I struggle with that. Uh, and I'm just wondering if that's the same for you or is it all just like, this works. It's interesting because I know what you're saying. Like, you know, I can do this for other people, but for myself, I'm no, I'm no good at it. I've been writing copy for people for like 12 years. When I try to write my own copy, I'm like, well, that's clearly awful, but I don't know how to change it. Right. Like I just, I get stuck and I'm like, I don't know what to do about that. Right. Meanwhile, I'm getting paid to, to, to do this for other people. Right. Yeah. And I think oftentimes, you know, some people have even said that to me, oh, well, it's easier for you because you're not selling your own product, right? You're selling somebody else's product. Um, and yes and no. So I only sell products that I fully believe in because I feel like my reputation and my karma is on the line. So I will not sell something that I don't 100% understand, know that it's going to work. And, and like, I will not do that, right? So in that regard, in my own personal stuff, the part that I said was really interesting is that I was doing some other work like several years ago. And when I would get on a sales call to sell my stuff, I would get weird about it. And I would get really in my body and anxious and I could feel things coming up in my chest and everything, right? Just like, oh, icky feelings. Um, and when I switched what I was doing, like switched how I was kind of doing my program and switched what I was actually selling, it's literally easier for me because I feel so strongly that I can do this, that, that I don't have any fear about, you know, I think most of the fear comes in. Can I do this? Is this going to be valuable? Is this whatever? And so I think when people are having a really hard time really doing that, you need to do the work on, is this something that you truly feel that you can do? Is this something that you feel has a lot of value? And is this something that you can feel confident in moving forward? And if you can't say yes to all of those things, um, you may have a really viable, I know so many people who have like all these amazing testimonials and everybody's getting great results. And they're like, but I just don't think I can do it. I'm like, well, obviously you can because 25 people just told you that you can, right? So that becomes an internal work, right? We got to figure out what's causing those blocks. Sometimes this is why I love, you know, like being certified in like NLP and applied mindfulness and stuff, right? Sometimes we can work on, okay, what is actually causing that block? What's that belief behind that that's causing you to stop? Um, but if you like, I mean, really it becomes about belief in yourself and confidence. So if you know that you can help people and you're not going to help everyone, right? So if out of 25 people, 20 get amazing results, you got to go with that because you can't control everything that everybody does. Right. But you have to have that confidence in what you do. And, um, sometimes it's a tweak in what you're offering. And sometimes it's only about going inward, right. And finding that confidence. Hmm. Well, Candace, you have lived, I mean, I know you're a cat person, so we'll say nine lives. Um, I truly hope Please let that me have at least one, one more. Like to have lived yeah, eight. like I'm this one, this one needs to just keep going and going and going. I just I love hearing all of the things you've done, but I just also know how much is still to come for you and from you and I'm just really thankful for the universe putting you into my path. Um, and 
I could not be more excited to see what you have coming out for your own offers in the next few years. You know we'll be sharing them. Um, and I just, I really appreciate you also just being so open and transparent about everything that you've experienced and how it has really, like I'm really, really walking away from this conversation with my own level of perspective and appreciation for what every single day has, even when it's exceedingly hard, right? Like even when the days are hard, just what a gift it really is to still be here yeah. and mm -hmm. to be resilient and surviving. So thank you for the reminder and thanks for the conversation. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. And it was literally just my 40th birthday and somebody said to me like, oh, um, you know, you're you're turning 40 so well so many people get stressed out I said dude I almost died three times like being here is amazing like I'm just happy that I get to wake up every day and continue and I've always said though like every age is my favorite age because it's the age in which I'm alive and it's the age in which I get to actually do things every day and I get to make changes and I can make my life better and I can do things every single day that that I want to do and so um, I'm not one of these people that fears getting older. I celebrate the fact that I haven't left earth yet and yeah. um, have more opportunity to help. And honestly, Katie, like meeting you in real life, I know we've talked online for so long, you know, we're working with these, with this group and then uh, actually getting to meet you in real life. I was like, oh my gosh, if we lived close, we would be hanging out all the time. Listen, on our late night the chats. next the next international adventure you take, you just tell me when and where. I don't quite have the nomadic wanderlust uh, personality that you do. I really am a homebody and I love routine. But for like with you, I will, I'm there. You tell me when, where, and I will hop a plane. And I am going to – you are somebody I would trust the process with completely and just like turn it over to whatever is supposed to happen. It's, it's magic. And I also think like – you and me and Sedona in 2024 with everyone else from the Elevate community. I just see us at a vortex. I see us like there is something mm -hmm. happening right now in the universe for people that are willing to take bold action that are defiant. I'm going to walk away with that word. Like that's really imprinted on me today. Yes. Um, but yes, you are, you know, my sister from another mister. I'm the voice of reason. You're the nomad. And I, Think that I think that souls together are together. We could do amazing things. Yes, yes. So if you're listening and you want to join us on this adventure, I'm sure Candace will be selling a prepaid uh, travel package for us in 2024. <laughs> but Candace, you're the best. I can't wait to see you in person again soon. And thanks again for sharing your story. I hope that ambulance isn't for you, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, I know. I live right next to a hospital. No, it just makes me nervous when we're talking about your near-death experiences. I think I moved here um, subconsciously because I'm so close to a hospital just in case <laughs> I try right. to die okay. again. <laughs> that actually that, that makes, me, makes me actually happier to know that you're just moments away from emergency care. I don't want you to need it. Promise me you'll no. take somewhat good care of yourself, but it's nice to know it's there. <laughs> All right, Candace, love you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. We packed so much into that conversation and immediately after we stopped recording, I said to Candace, oh my gosh, I didn't even remember to bring up the fact that you are the author of a book. The truth is, I don't think there is a single conversation where you could cover everything that Candace has done and seen and experienced. And we didn't even really get into the heart of what she teaches from a sales perspective. So what I want you to do is I want you to 
connect with Candice. She shares so many valuable tips on her Instagram page. She's at CandiceJames.kj. Candice is with a K. So CandiceJames.kj. That's on Instagram. She shares incredible tips and insights. She is a wonderful coach and you can learn about the opportunity to work with her through her Instagram page or feel free to connect with me and we'd be happy to tell you more about her role and my role in Elevate where again, Candice and I are both advisors. I am so appreciative of everybody who comes on the show and really shares their vulnerable, transparent, funny, transformative, insert your adjective and superlative here, their story. And Candice in particular really moved me with her ability to not just walk through what has been a difficult life at some points, uh, but really take inspiration and joy, not just for herself, but motivation and defiance for all of us. So thank you as always for listening. And I hope to see you on the next episode of Hard Costs. Thank you for listening to this episode. My hope is that through someone else's journey, you're able to find what you need to keep going because a rising tide lifts all boats. Doing business is hard, but none of us has to navigate it alone. So make sure you share this with a friend or a colleague who needs to hear this message. And I would love for you to write a review so we can keep getting these incredible founder stories to as many people as possible. If you liked this episode and want to learn more about my services or would like to book me as a speaker for your next event, head to katiewidrick.com. I'll see you on the next episode of Hard Costs.